0: Get your bibles and open to uh colossians 3 colossians chapter 3. this is kind of a three-part series if you will i'm calling it uh, the new you at home last week the new you at home we addressed verse 18 about wives submitting to husbands uh, in the lord and why that's important it's due due to the creative order that woman came out of man not the other way around um, and that's God's order, and it's a voluntary thing, and it's a blessed thing. It's how wives show their love for the Lord and the word of Christ dwelling in them richly is by voluntarily working with their husband to create an order in that home where flourishing can take place. And so we talked about that. I want to, again, thank my wife. Uh, Jay, I'm going to switch over to the lapel here. I forgot about that I'm going to need both my hands. Let's see. Is that, is that on, brother? It working, test one two. All right. So I want to thank my wife last week for uh, coming up and answering some questions. I found that to be very helpful. Um, and you can go back, that that sermon is posted online, and you can go back and read that. So today, let me let's begin as we did last week, and I think it's verse number 12. Yes, it is. Colossians 3:12. If you got your own Bible, you can follow along. It is also on the screen. Here's what the word of God says. Therefore. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, here's the thing you're supposed to put on. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Remember Paul's lists of five. Very popular in his day amongst pagan philosophers. Paul borrows from that cultural norm that people would have recognized and embraced and gives his list of five. Um, I think this verse 13 is a commentary on the last Characteristic, which is long-suffering. He, he says, here's how you can suffer long. Here's how you can put up with each other. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. See, forgiveness is the key. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you so you also must do. So we forgive each other like Christ forgave us. But above all these things, now here's what you put on. Put on love which is the bond of perfection. So love ties the whole thing together. Without love, you can't keep on those characteristics, is what Paul's saying. And let or allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. You see what he's doing here? He's building up thankfulness as, as, as something to remind us how good God's been to us. Now here's the big shift in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So we need to, the word of Christ needs to be at home in our heart. And here's how you keep that going. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's why it's important to sing, amen? We need to sing to remind ourselves of these, of these penultimate truths that bring peace and joy and flourishing in our homes. And that looks like wives submitting Voluntarily and husbands loving fully uh, as Christ loved the church and children obeying uh, out of, out of um, respect for God. And whatever you do, verse 17, a word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Notice that's the second time that being thankful or giving thanks is mentioned in three verses. So thanksgiving is a key to that. Then we got into last week's verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now he speaks to husbands, which we'll deal with today. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Then he'll speak to children. In verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We'll deal with those two verses next week. Um, So with that in mind... Let me, in my introduction, it was kind of funny. It made me laugh, Elizabeth. I don't know if you caught this this morning, um, but I had this book out. Uh, I, was, I was using it this week in my preparation. It's really the only book that I recommend to couples. Um, I use it for pre marriage counseling, I use it for post marriage counseling when people are struggling and having issues there's a lot of marriage books out there and the vast majority of them are one-sided they all talk about love nobody touches respect and this book is actually called love and respect Um, it's the love she most desires and the respect he desperately needs it's by dr emerson egerich and his wife and uh, so i texted my wife i meant to bring it today which you can see it's here i left it at home when i got here early and I texted my wife, and I said to her, um, "Please bring love and respect to church today." <laughs> and I never thought about how funny that sounded until I went back and looked looked at my text. did you did you pick up on that? I, did. I thought it was was funny, but do let me uh, let me share with you the reality of these requirements of love and respect. God calls a man to love, calls a woman to respect or uh willingly come under the leadership and headship of that man. Um, Oscar Wilde said this. He said, women are made to be loved, not understood. Um, But I thought this was really good. Joseph Conrad said, um, being a woman is a terribly difficult task since it consists primarily in dealing with men. So some of these guys had a few things uh, figured out. They were being honest, and, and sometimes that hurts. And by the way, that comes from a, a, a pretty good book that I've been reading over the last few months called The Heart of a Warrior by Michael Thompson. Um, but that, that's a great book for men as, as he encourages us to orient our hearts to the Father and to be re-fathered by our Father in heaven so that we can be good men. Um. So let me, uh, let me ask you something. When we look at this idea of men loving, women respecting and men loving, and again, I, I wholeheartedly recommend this book, Love and Respect, because he does such a good job unpacking what that looks like. Um, we're going to go in a minute to Ephesians and look at what Paul says in his counterpart to this text but I just want to unpack today. I wanted to do this very simply, if I could, as talking to why, why Paul says that we're supposed to love. Husbands love, wives respect. Why, why that dichotomy? Why that difference? Why not wives love and, and, and husbands respect? And, and I think there's a reason for that. And here it is. I think God made women, even after the fall, it's still in there. You women know how to love. Matter of fact, I think women, moms, they, y'all speak love as your native language. It, it, it's almost, and when I say love, I mean that kind of love that cares more about the other person than yourself. That's why I never give my wife money for a gift. She never spends it on herself. She always spends it on one of the kids. Or me. And that's not the, so if I'm gonna give her a gift, I gotta think harder and actually give her something because if I don't, she's gonna take, any funds that she's given, or even a gift card, and she's going to give it to somebody. else. Why? Because women are just natural givers. They're lovers. They know how to love intuitively. Men don't. Women speak love. But I tell you something: women don't speak. Speak is respect. But men speak respect. That's the world we live in. I, we were talking about that in our D group today with Wes. Is that we have a, men have a very definitive lines in our relationships with other men. You don't cross those lines. Those are lines of respect. That's why when two men meet each other for the first time, what's one of the first things they ask? What do you do? What do, you do? Why do they ask, what do you do? Because we're getting to know each other based on uh, what we think our identity is, which is in our work. And that's a dangerous thing. But men speak respect because that is a respect term. What do you do? And we, we are very careful to stay within the, In the in the confines of these respect lanes, and when that and you guys know this even as even as boys, I've watched my boys grow up. Even this week, I saw this happen in my house. When one young man steps out of the respect lane, and we tend to do that more towards people we live with, so that's why it happens there. But I've I've seen this outside. When a man steps over that respect lane and disrespects another man, what happens? That's exactly right, Dale. A fight happens. And we, re, we regain that respect by force because that's how deeply we speak it. Um, and I think it was in this book. It was not. It was something else that I read. They, had a, they, had a, they were doing a conference for college-age students. It was men and women both. And I think there were about 500 uh, college-age students together. And they were talking about the differences between men and women. And they asked this question, and they had filled out a questionnaire and wrote it down. And one of the questions on this questionnaire was Would you, which, which way would you like to, would you rather spend the rest of your life? Would you rather spend the rest of your life being loved, cherished, and cared for and understood, but along with that, being a failure in your work life, in your social life, um, and, and, and just not being good? at what you're you're doing for a living? Or would it be the other way around? Did you know 250, all the women said, I'd rather be loved and be a failure in the marketplace. And every single young man said, I'd rather be a success in the marketplace and live unloved. Why? Because men speak respect and women speak love. And so God says, here's the deal. Because I made you each that way, here's what I need to teach you how to do through relying on the Holy Spirit. I need you to flip that. Guys, I know you speak respect, but you need to learn to speak love. Because that's the language your wife speaks. And ladies, I know you speak love and it's easy for you. You need to learn to speak respect because that's the language your husband speaks. Does that make sense? Problem is that's impossible without the intervention of God Himself. Amen? It really is true. So let me let me just break this down kind of as, as I know it might be an overly simplistic outline this morning, but I want to talk about the root, the fruit, and then the YBH. So, so how do, what do I need to have at the foundational level to love my wife and not be bitter towards her? What's the fruit of that when, I, when, when by God's grace, God's Spirit allows me to do that, and, I, and I'm, I'm cooperating and love's actually coming out of me? What happens to my wife? What happens to my home? And then the YBH. How do I live with this woman and not get bitter? And this crosses over to women, too. But this particular part, and I think this particular problem, is geared more towards men than women. And then I'll have an application and evaluation at the end. So um, the first part, what is the root of this? I'm going to go to Ephesians. And it'll come up here on the screen. Uh, I think this is Ephesians 4. Let me flip back in my own Bible. Is that the next verse? Five. I'm oh, sorry. You're right. Ephesians 5. Um, y'all turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I think it'll come up here on the screen. Yep. Now, I want you to look at this with, a, with an eye to understanding the foundation. Men, what do you need to have operating in your life in order to even have the ability... To love this woman without strings attached. He already gave it to us in Colossians. There's some stuff that you're to absolutely take a knife and cut the throat of in your life. And that's those sexual sins. The filthy five in verse number five of chapter three. And then there's some things that just don't fit anymore. and And you're to take those things off and get rid of them. And then there's some things you're to put on. You're to put on the character of Christ. You're to wrap it up in love. And you're to let the word of Christ be very much at home in your heart and wisely apply this word of the living Christ to every aspect of your relationship. And when you do that, your, your living will be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's your foundation. Do you see what it is? It's, it's allowing the word of Christ to live in you richly and, and have these characteristics to look more like Jesus than you do yourself. This is a supernatural power. Now look at how Paul explains it in in chapter 5 of Ephesians 3, and I think you'll see in there, it's actually not just a power, it's a person who gives the power. And what we need is the Holy Spirit. See if you can't pick that up with me as we read in verse 15. See then that you are circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's how Paul is setting this up. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here it is. Don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now right there, this is, this is where he's getting to the nuts and bolts. What do I need? What's the root of this thing? How can I love my wife? When someone's drunk with alcohol, we, we, we have a saying. He said, well, that's just the alcohol speaking. You ever heard that before? We had, we had a guy we used to play football with on Sundays after church when we were kids. Now Dave and I, as soon as a Lunch dishes were washed. We would all go across the street. and had this huge game of football. And I think the guy's name was Gary. And he was one of these monstrous guys. But he was as meek as a lamb until he got drinking. And, I mean, he didn't even need to drink much. But, boy, when Gary got alcohol in him, this meek guy became a bear. And nobody wanted to be around him. He said, well, why? What changed him? The alcohol changed him. It, 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 it took over the way he I- interacted with his world. That's exactly the, and that's a negative, right? But that's exactly the picture Paul's painting there. Don't, don't let alcohol control you, but in the same way that alcohol and overconsumption of alcohol can control you and make you do things you'd never do, what? Be drunk with the Spirit. Be so filled up and saturated with the Holy Spirit that what? You, you're you doing stuff that you and your flesh would never do by yourself. Is this making sense to anybody? Here's the foundation or the root. And, and doesn't this sound familiar to Colossians? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Doesn't that sound just like what Paul says in Colossians? Same message. Giving thanks, there it is, always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, same thing, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So out of this joyful heart of giving thanks and being controlled by a saturated spirit in your life, what does that mutual submission look like? And Paul says, here's what it looks like. Wives, submit to your husbands just like you do to the Lord. All right? Understand that headship and that order in the home. For the husband's the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. And he goes on to say in the next verse, Therefore, just as the church is subject or submissive to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So, so again, this is speaking respect. He's saying, ladies, we need to speak respect to your husband. Now he goes to the husbands. Love your wives. But notice how he qualifies it here. Just as Christ also loved the church and did what? Gave himself for her. And that wasn't only in his death, but it, it also included his death. He lived for the church. Always, all the way up to the point of dying for her. That's true love. To what end? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Next one, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is Christ's goal for the church. And now he says this. He says all that to say, so husbands, so husbands ought to love their wives as their own what? Bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one, boy, and someone needs to underline this in your Bible. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. By the way, that is not a commandment to love yourself. The love of self is assumed. (laughs) Never in the word of God does it tell you love yourself. Why? Because loving self is never an issue. Matter of fact, we love ourselves way too much. That's the problem. That's why in the word of God, we're commanded to love our wives. We're commanded to love our enemies. And by the way, if your wife's your enemy, God says, love your enemies. Uh, this command to love, all the command to love is always outside of self. It never says love yourself because God said, I know you love yourself. That was part of the fall. You took that thing and took it to, the fall, took it to a perverted level. You got no problem loving yourself. And the two are one flesh. There it is. For we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. When a husband and wife come together in one flesh, he says, you're, you're one person. So if you love yourself, love her. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. By the way, that's the order. We've forgotten that in the culture today. And be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It's the leave and cleave. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So there's Paul's understanding. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here's the thought. What do I need, men, men of God today, to love my wife in this? this would you agree this a pretty high call of love? That's, pretty, that's a pretty big standard God puts out there, isn't it? You love her like Jesus loved the church and continually gave himself for her, even and up to his death. That's pretty, that's pretty big, isn't it? God does not give you a low standard. I say this all the time, especially to young men, but sometimes I've got to say it to myself and, and, and to other brothers that are in my same stage of life, and even those few that are older, is this, that men are like trucks. We drive straighter when we carry a heavy load. And God made us to carry a heavy load. And he puts this heavy load on us so that we might learn to trust Him. So what is the root? And this is in your outline this morning. This is important. This is what you've got to have. The root is this, is spirit control, spirit saturation. Just like alcohol saturates the cells in your bloodstream and hits your brain it causes you to do things you would never do. You need that type of spirit control in your life. Does that make sense? To the, you're so saturated with the spirit that stuff starts coming out of you that doesn't look like you. It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, spirit control that creates space for the word of Christ To be abundantly at home in our hearts and in our homes. Does that make sense? Guys, that's what you need. You need the word of Christ to be at home in your heart and the filling of the Holy Spirit to enact that. So what comes out of you looks a whole lot more like Jesus Christ's love for the church than your adulterous, idolatrous love for yourself. You know one thing, it breaks my heart, but I hear it all the time, and I can't disagree with it. I've even lived it. Is that men, when you talk about what, what are men, what defines, what, what are guys like, almost every answer includes selfish. Why are we so selfish? We, we know how to love. We just direct that love the wrong way. <laughs> Amen? We need to direct it out. But here's my point in this. Unless and until you have repented of your sin and embrace Jesus Christ as your King of kings and your Lord of lords, listen to me and listen to me closely, you have no hope of ever pulling anything like love off in your life towards your wife. You don't have the ability to do it. You. This is a God-ordained, Spirit-powered function. You've got to have the root of being born again infused and filled with the Holy Spirit and letting the word of Christ be so at home in your life that you can't get the songs out of your head that sing to you the worship of God. Amen. this is the root that you've got to have in your life in order to bring about the next thing, which is the fruit. Now notice what the fruit is. He says it right there. After he lays down what the root is, he, he shows us what the fruit is. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Here's the the command. I back up just one more slide if you want. Here's the command there. It's a two-part command. One is a positive and one's a negative. But they're both imperatives. They're both commands. Love your wives. And here's the negative. Don't be what? Bitter towards them. I I actually like to... I think it's the King James that says it this way. It might be the New American Standard. And don't be embittered towards them. And I'm going to get into that in a minute, but it's interesting. That, that's a passive word, and it's rare to have a passive command. In other words, don't let bitterness seep into your life. Don't be controlled by bitterness. And I'm going to talk about how to, how to not be controlled by bitterness towards your wife, guys. But the first thing is the love. The love there, and notice I said in there, it's an active and continual love. It's it's an action word, and it's in the continual tense in the Greek. In other words, he says continually agape love your wife. And that word agape love is a love that God has for us. In other words, and I want you to hear me, guys. That is a love with no strings attached. No strings attached. Not being nice to her in order to get something out of her. And here's the problem with, with, with us guys. We tend to be consumers and users instead of providers and protectors. And, and I'm telling you what, I've seen many a man be a consumer in his marriage and a user. And one of the big hurdles for guys in that situation is to learn hopefully early in their marriage, hopefully still at home as they practice with their siblings, that we love people and use things. We do not use people and love things. And I've come across too many men who, who love things and use people. They're consumers. That is a sign of the flesh and the old you. The new you loves people and uses things. You live for people, not things. You use things to bless and to love others. So this word is the agape. Um, it means this love that God has. This giving love that thinks of others before self has the good of another before your own good. And it's hard and we're not taught this anymore. That's why we're going to take a couple of hours and spend time with Ben this Saturday to put godly men around him. And say, this, this is what men do. This is what we need to be about. This is the load that God has put on your back so that you will drive straight towards the cross and be a man of God and a kingdom expander. Because I'm preparing him one day, if and as God wills, to be a good husband who loves his wife sacrificially. But we have been deluded by the spirit of the age in a world that is upside down and has its own ideas that are opposite and in opposition to the word of God. And we need to be careful. Here's the next verse, uh, 1 Peter 3, 7. You need to realize what you're dealing with here. Husbands, Peter says, likewise dwell with them, that's their wives, with understanding, giving honor, that means value, expressing value to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. You know what the problem is? The problem is we take this the wrong way and in the wrong spirit. Nowhere in that verse does it say that the wife is less valuable, the woman is less valuable than the man. In fact, Quite the opposite is stated there. That word weaker vessel, and how many of you ladies, you hear that and it kind of chafe a little bit. You know, I don't like that. Uh, There's a reason it's there. It actually means more precious, more valuable. It's the difference between the Melmac plates that you put out for lunch when the family's there and the fine china that only comes out when guests arrive, right? Fellas, you're the Melmac plates. Matter of fact, some of us are just paper plates. (laughs) And the ladies are the fine china. There's a difference between men and women. But listen, we live in a crazy, sin-sick world that says there's no difference at all. And if we're, we're going to have equality of value, then everything needs to be equal and the ground needs to be level. That's stupid. The world doesn't even believe that. You say, it doesn't? No. I've taken up golf again recently. And guess what? There's a white tee where you start, Right? But there's also a red tee. And I play with my sister. And, and, and the white tee is where the men tee off of. And then the red tee is where me and the ladies tee off of. <laughs> the reason I tee off of there is I just as soon have my, my, my first shot uh, longer than, uh, my second shot longer than my first one. And it makes me so mad. I played with Sherry this week. And on this one particular hole, no lie, our whole goal, her husband and I, was to hit our ball to her tee box. It was about as far as we could hit. It was her tee, where she started. Now, what's up with that if if there's equality? That's not equality. No, but but even on a golf course, they recognize that men and women are different. There's a difference there. And we need to recognize that. That doesn't mean that men are better than women. Um, It means we're different. We're created for different purposes. And Peter says we need to dwell in them and under, we need to understand these differences. And we need to give honor, value, speak value into our wives, understanding they're way more precious and valuable than we are. It's so important to understand. Let me tell you one of the worst mistakes that young men make. And I want to talk to these young guys in here, you teenagers and early 20-somethings. Let me tell you one of the biggest mistakes you can make. Some of you guys have been married for a while. I haven't figured this out yet. A woman, God designed a woman to be the completer. That's literally what he called Eve. (laughs) I'm going to give a woman to complete him. It wasn't whole without her. But listen, when God made Eve and brought her to Adam, he was already living a holy adventure of dominion. Stay with me. He had a command and a commission from God, and Adam was busy about getting it done. But he needed someone to help him in this adventure that God had given him. And so God gave him a wife, a completer named Eve, and she came alongside to help him. Now, if I needed help moving this pulpit because it was too heavy, no offense, I wouldn't call Jack up here to help me. Why would I not call Jack up here? Although he is very strong for a kid his age. I would call it my brother David, because if he's going to be of a help to me, he's got to be strong. So the fact that God made Eve as a helper doesn't mean she's weak. It means she's strong, but she's strong in different areas. And Adam needed her. Listen, get this, guys. Adam needed Eve to join him in the commission and the adventure and the act of dominion that God had given Adam, not Eve. God gave Adam the dominion. God gave Adam the command. God gave Adam the commission, this adventure. And then he gave Adam, Eve, in order to help him fulfill that commission. Here's the problem. And I see it all over the world and even, unfortunately, in the church today. The biggest mistake you can make, young young married men and men who hope to be married one day, is this, when you make that woman the adventure. She is not your adventure. She is not your calling. She is not your commission. You get that from God. And when you put that on a woman, you'll destroy her. Instead, you need to see her as the gift of God brought into your life to come along to join you in your adventure. Don't make the mistake of making her your adventure. Don't make the mistake of making your wife your commission. You don't look to her for that. You look to God for that. And then God gives you that woman to come alongside of you and help you fulfill the mission and the adventure. He he has called you to call her to your adventure. Don't make her the adventure. Don't make her your commission. That's out of bounds. And because... She can't live up to that. And here's the other problem. If she's our adventure, once we get her, what? We move on to the next thing and we leave her in the dust. And that's not what God created her for. He created her to help you in your adventure. We need to love our wives. We need to understand who they are. And that is agape love. We need to put her needs before our own needs. But let me talk to you for a second about the YBH, as the last point today. And what does YBH stand for, church? Yeah, about how? Yeah, how? Because the last part said, love your wives with this agape love. Invite her to join you in this adventure that God's called you to. And invite her to join you to help me get this done. Right? That's the biblical concept. But he says, along, along the way in that process, be careful that you don't get what? Bitter. Don't get bitter. Why would he say that? Why would he say that to the men? Because I've seen many a woman that was bitter towards her husband. But why is this command attached to the command of love? Think about that for a minute. What's the purpose here? Because God's up to something. Huh? Yeah, to conform you to the image of Christ, to love like Christ does. For sure. But here's the problem, because here's what could happen today. If some of you men were wise, I'm not blaming you of that or accusing you of being wise, but if you were, you would leave this place to say today and say, you know what, I want to be saturated with the Holy Spirit, and I, I, I just want to put my wife first today. And so you're going to go home, and God's going to meet you there, and you're going to try it, and here's what's going to happen. She's not going to respond the way you think she should. Now what happens when she doesn't respond the way you think she should? What do you get? get bitter. You get angry. You see it? See, because God knows that when you, when you push into obedience in this area of your life, the danger of bitterness rises exponentially. Why? It's a super simple. Because in our flesh we have tied strings to that love you ever done this you know you go you you go buy your wife some flowers and you bring it home as you go oh those are nice you say do you know how much i paid for those (laughs) right and all we talk about the whole night is the flowers right why because we're trying to gin up the proper response that we think we should she should have for our great act of love towards her right there's strings. That God's saying love with no strings attached. And I know that sometimes you're going to fail at that. And when you do fail, refuse bitterness. So how do I do that? It's up there on the screen. This is in Ephesians. He says, be angry and do not sin. And this is, this is, how, you, this is how you don't become bitter. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't go to bed angry with your wife. I heard a brother Pastor older fellow one day said, he said, my wife and I have never gone to bed mad at each other. He said, now we've stayed up several days in a row, (laughs) but we've never gone to sleep mad at each other. Uh, And it's important that in that next verse, you'll see why you do not want to go to bed angry. Verse 27, he's because when you do, you give place to who you give ground to the devil in your heart. In the core of your who you are, and the inside, your intellect, emotional, will—all of a sudden, Satan's got real estate, and he doesn't let real estate sit fallow. He builds, and he starts building strongholds in your heart against your wife when you go to be angry with her. And that's why he said, "Get rid of that bitterness." How do I do that? You do it by forgiving. Look at the next verse. We'll, we'll follow this through to the end. Is there another? Here we go. Let him who stole steal no more. Uh, but rather let him labor, working what's good with his hands, that he might have something to give those who are in need. He's given a litany of things that need to change. Next verse. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good to edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve that spirit. Now here it is. Look at it. Let all, what's the first thing? bitterness. Now look what bitterness is attached to. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is just taking all of those other words and making a plan of action to hurt her. And we're all good at that. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. and Here's the word. What's that next word? Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This word, bitter, means a razor's edge, a sharpness, uh, a harshness. How many of you know we can be sharp and harsh when we put tie strings to our our love for our wives and our acts of service to our wife? We can do that. Just as Paul says in Colossians 3, the way to be long-suffering is to learn to be a fast forgiver. Because as I've said before, fellows, love is far more easily measured by its limits than its excesses. It's not what you're willing to do. That proves your love. It's what you're not. Where's the stopping line? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Get rid of this bitterness and know that it's a real possibility when through this spirit you try to love this wife of yours like Jesus loved the church. Know that there's going to be some fast forgiving that needs to take place. And here's here's the deal. She's not really your target. Now you're loving her And you're you're doing, and love is a a verb. You're you're actively loving her, but in reality, you're loving God. And you're only really loving God by loving her when there's no strings attached to that love, and that's what keeps bitterness out of the picture. You see, you see the wisdom of the Holy Spirit here. Don't we have some bitterness that we harbor in our hearts sometimes? This unforgiveness. So let me ask you this in a way of application. And I'm going to ask you to write this down in your outline. I didn't put the questions in there because I wanted you to write them down. Here's the first application evaluation question for us. And this goes to both husbands and wives. But I'm talking to guys today because the scripture does. Here, here it is. Do you know your wife's love language? You say, what's a love language? Just listen to how she loves you. What are the things that she does? We tend to speak our own love language. Mine, mine is words of affirmation. You know, um, I need to hear. It. I don't need to hear it, but I like to hear. Man, you did a good job, or I appreciate this, or I appreciate that. My wife's love language is acts of service. You know what I tend to speak to her? Words of affirmation. Why? Because it's my love language. And I got to remind myself, Paul. Her love language is acts of service. Go clean your closet, which I will be doing today, dear. She's been asking me to do that because her parents are coming. And uh, they're going to be staying in our room. So I know i got to clean my closet. And I had a whole list of things in my, that, I, that, I, that I accomplished or tried to accomplish this week around the house because I know her parents are coming. And, and I know that she wants that place to look as good as it can look. And me still live there. Um, <laughs> and so I, I enlisted my sons, and we got busy around that place. I even enlisted my son-in-law. God bless Joseph. Come and help me. And, and we got that place looking not so bad. And why did I do that? Because I know that this dear, precious wife of mine hears loud and clear, I love you, when you do stuff for her without grumbling. Am, am I right? So I know her love language. And I try to speak that to her often, acts of service. I'm so thankful her love language is not gifts because that's expensive. Acts of service cost me time. I can do that. (laughs) But uh, that's her love language. Guys, do you know your wife's love language? You can go online and Google it, five love languages. Find out what it is and learn to speak it fluently. She needs to hear I love you. Here's the next one. On a scale of one to five, five being a very well-loved, one is not so much. I want you... I want you to answer this for yourself, guys. How well am I loving my wife? And wives, I want you to answer separately, how well um, am I loved by my husband? Scale of one to five. And be gut-level honest. And men, if you want to take it to the next level, if you've got kids that are old enough, ask your kids, ask your older kids, even your married kids, um, at scale of one to five, how well am I loving your mom? What do you, th- what do you see from your vantage point? How am I doing loving mom? And then sit down together and talk about that. Honey, how am I doing loving you? Scale of one to five, am I a three? Am I a two? Am I a five? How can I improve? What speaks love to you that I could do better? By trusting God. Here's the last one. It's not just for husbands, but we're talking to the men today. What do I need to let go of? Have I let a root of bitterness find ground in my heart towards my wife? A lot of men have. And I've seen it ruin relationships. What, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to forgive? And by the way, guys, whatever that is, she doesn't need to know about it. Don't, don't go don't, on the way home. Don't say, honey, I just want you to know I forgive you. Because you know what she's going to say? Forgive me for what? That's not between you and her. Listen to me, guys. That's between you and God. she got nothing to do with it. You don't like how she responded, reacted to you yesterday? You take that to God. And say, Lord, I don't think that was right the way she did that. But I thank you that uh, you gave her to me. And that helped me to really rely on Jesus more than I would have if she would have responded right. So I just, I just want you to know, God, I'm, I'm, I let that go. And I want you to bless her and help me to love her more. Guys, here's the deal. And I, and I try to remind myself of that I, I fail often. I'm not standing up for saying I got this figured out. She is called by God to come under my authority. Now, I don't lord that over her, do I? I don't lord that over her. I was so glad that after church last Sunday we were talking I said, baby, how many times have we uh, like really disagreed about something, and you know, and I had to make a decision? We can only come up with like two or three things. She told you two of them, and there might have been one or two more. I don't remember them. I don't think you do either. Two in 33 years. I don't lord it over her. I love her. She's my partner. She's my next set of eyes. She sees things from a vantage point I could never see. So here's my goal. My goal is to love her so well like Jesus loved the church that I make her job of submitting to me easy and a joy and not difficult and a heartache. Guys, that's your goal. Now, that's not saying that she gets off the hook if I'm being stupid and harsh with her. She's still responsible to God for her part. I want to make her part easier. You would do well to do the same. What do you need to let go of? In closing, I want to, I, I mean, by the way, I want to recommend this book to you. It's called uh, What Are You Doing Here? It's Your Call by Gary Barkalow. And I started reading this book this week, and I came across this, and, and I want to use this as we tie this sermon up today. Uh, counselor and author Richard Leader asked senior citizens over a 25 year span how they would live their lives differently. Isn't that a great question? Across the board, the older adults say the same things. And here they are. First, they would say that if they could live their lives over again, they would be more reflective. They got so caught up in the doing that they lost sight of the meaning. I want you to think about that in terms of loving your wives, guys, and ladies, of coming under the leadership of your husbands. We can get lost in the doing and forget the meaning. Second, they would take more risks. Almost all of them said that they felt most alive when they took risks. Fellas, loving your wife with no strings attached, is that a risk? (laughs) You better believe it. (laughs) Ladies, coming joyfully, voluntarily underneath his leadership, is that a risk? Do I even have to ask it? But man, we come alive. Because we tap into something that we're not in control of. We trust God. We learn who he is. Third, they would understand what really gave them fulfillment. Doing something that contributes to life, adding value to life beyond yourself. God, why do I got to love my wife with no strings attached? Because you need to add value to life beyond yourself you need to speak life into other people a few years ago February some of you remember uh, my dad trying to die it's the only thing he did poorly that I can recall as far as work goes that man died hard he died so hard. He hung on. When we were praying, he would let go. The last meal that he ate, and he really just picked at it, was Thanksgiving at my house. He didn't die till the middle of February. He didn't eat a bite from Thanksgiving to the middle of February. He was already in a weakened state. I don't know how he lived that long. He, 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 he was hanging on to something. And Mom told me, it was about a couple weeks before he died, Mom, when you got up in that bed with him. It was about two weeks. And he, he wasn't talking hardly at all. And, you know, he, he was more on the other side than this side of the veil. And wasn't sure always where he was. He wasn't clear. But he had a moment of clarity. Um, and Mom got up in that bed with him in the living room. And he asked her. He, he was troubled. Knowing he was dying. Not, not ready to die. You know what he said to her? Was I a good man? Was I a good man? He wasn't always good. He was a grade-A sinner when he was a sinner. And even as a saint, he's made some U-turns that hurt himself and his family deeply. That's what he was remembering. Was I a good man? Because he was, the other nagging question in his heart was, are you gonna be okay without me? I share that today to hopefully shock some of you men into the reality that one day you're gonna be on that bed. Maybe your death can be easier if you'll learn to love your wife like Jesus loves the church today. And you know, I don't know all that mom said to him, but I can imagine some of it. Some of it she's told me. But I can tell you what, it wasn't long after that that he took his last breath. Because his heart was at peace. Guys, you can't love that woman unless you know that you are a beloved son yourself. And out of your belovedness to the father, the overflow of that lets you love her like Jesus loves his bride. Let go of the bitterness. Don't tie any strings to your actions of love toward your wife. Learn her love language. Speak it daily. Speak it very loud. Shout it over her. And present her to Christ the way he intends. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today. Um, I, I, I thank you for the call, the command, to love Elizabeth in the strong way that Jesus loves me and loves his church and fellow saints. I thank you that you have never asked me to do something that you have not provided the ability and power through the saturation of your spirit in my life. And I thank you that on those occasions that through your spirit, I can love when no strings that you're kind enough to wake me up and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, son, that was me, not you. You, you, you let me do something through you. Let's do more of that. I thank you for the gentle encouragement and the way that you father me. God, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid there's men in this room who don't know you as their father. They don't really, never really understood the beloved son that they can be through Your one and only Son. I pray that you would awaken them to your love through a violent cross. And I pray that the beauty of that love would permeate our hearts and homes this week. That we would be bold and ask the hard questions of our wives. And that their answers would be appreciated we would not be bitter towards Him for the truth. I pray that the fruit of Your Spirit would show up in our life as we understand the root of our belovedness in Your eyes through Your Son, Jesus Christ. May You bless us with that reality this week, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen church? Amen. I understand some of your small groups were interesting this week, this last week. Isn't that the only reason you abided that message because you knew this one was coming? (laughs) Let me say to you, we are not adversaries, we are allies. That's the only way this thing works, amen? Let's ask God to change our hearts today, guys. Ladies, let's do your part as our husbands, your husbands do theirs. Let's not fight, but let's fellowship. Let's fight on the same side. We got a big enough enemy. Amen, we don't need to add more in our home. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing that great doxology as we leave this place today. Praise the Lord together. Um, I'm going to encourage you to get this book. If you're married, read this book, Love and Respect. It's the only book I recommend for marriage because it gets both sides, not just one. So I'm not saying there's other good, bad, other good marriage, book. there are, but when, when the foundational truths of marriage, of how we live it out, and what it looks like, he gives such great uh, helps in here, practical stuff. Um, I, I wholeheartedly recommend love.